Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, taught by Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah, in July of 2008. This episode is brought to you by Blessed Voyage, taking knowledge beyond the classroom. Blessed Voyage is our flagship service taking you around the world with the expert guidance of our instructors. Whether you dream of going on Hajj or Umrah, visiting Al-Aqsa, or seeing the Islamic world with your own eyes, Blessed Voyage turns your travels into a transformative, memorable learning experience. So in the Hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ to Medina, we saw that in his strategy, he went from, from the Kaaba and, and went to Ghari Thawr. Asma anha was bringing the sheep to cover the tracks. Now the mushrikeen, they were looking for the Prophet ﷺ. They came to the home of Abu Bakr anhu, and they actually, um, Abu Sufyan slapped Asma. And he said, where is your father? Right? And she's not telling him where, where their father is. And even Abu Bakr anhu's father, so their grandfather, he came and he was angry at Abu Bakr anhu, And he said, he said to them, what has your father left? And then they took a, a bag of rocks and they showed their grandfather and they said, he left this. And so he felt like, oh, this is money in, in, this, in this bag and so on and so forth. And then he said, like, oh, if he left this, then everything's good. <laughs> All right? He did leave it. It was like a bag of rocks. He left it behind. When the Prophet ﷺ, after spending that time and, you know, the initial rush and, you know, the bounty that was out, 100 camels, for the return of the Prophet ﷺ, that was like let out and everybody's searching for him. They were in the cave until that initial rush went down. And then they started proceeding towards Medina. They started proceeding towards Medina. On the path, in the direction of Medina, they came across, like there's these Bedouins living out in the desert, and they came to the home of Umm Ma'bad. Umm Ma'bad is known as being the one who has described what the Prophet looked like better than anybody else. She just saw him for like an hour or so at her home, and yet she described what the Prophet ﷺ looked like in a way that no one has ever described the Prophet ﷺ in a more descriptive way. And that was because of you know, the excellence of her Arabic language and her, the hadith in description. If you're ever translating Arabic and you come across that hadith, like, God help you. <laughs> because it's so rich in meaning, you like every single word that, word that she said, you would need like a dictionary to go and study what she said and how she described the Prophet So the Prophet came with Abu Bakr to the home of Umm Ma'bad. They asked her if she had any milk, right? And remember what I said earlier about in the olden days, there's no like rest stops, there's no hotels. You go to a person's house and you ask them, you know, like you're a guest at their house and you'd sleep at someone's house. This is the way they were. So the Prophet came to the home of Umm Ma'bad with Abu Bakr and they said, uh, do you have any milk? And then she said, no, we don't have any milk. Her husband, Abu Ma'bad, had gone out into like the hills with his sheep to try to find some food for the sheep. They left back one sheep that was so weak that it couldn't even go with the flock. And then they said, what about that sheep? And she said, you know, that one is it's too weak. It doesn't, there's no energy in it. And they said, would you allow for us to milk, the, milk it? And she said, you know, go ahead. So the Prophet said, with his blessed hand, وسلم, was rubbing it until you know, it was ready. And then he said, bring me the, um, you know, the container. And the Prophet وسلم, milked it. And he kept milking it, milking it. Abu Bakr drank, and the guy drank, and Umm Ma'bad drank. The Prophet وسلم, drank. 
and then he left the rest for Umm Ma'bad and her husband. And then they left. So now her husband, imagine he's coming back at the end of the day. He's tired, the sheep are all like weak, they don't have money, they don't have this and that. What do you think his house would look like after the Prophet had passed through? It's like illuminated. It's like sparkling. There's like, there's this barakah that you can feel and like there's milk everywhere in the house. And he's saying to his wife, what happened here? And she says in response, like this man came and he said, describe him to me. And this is the same of Umm Ma'bad uh, in her statement of what the Prophet looked like. Right, so he's saying that he wasn't tall, he wasn't short, he would sit quietly when he spoke, everybody would listen to him. If he commanded, everyone would follow him, and so on, different descriptions of the Prophet And then Abu Ma'bad, after she explained who, you know, what she saw, she said, this must be the person that the Quraysh is looking for, right? And then he, there was a line of poetry that he wrote, it's such a beautiful line of poetry about the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Jazallahu Rabbun Nasi Khaira Jazaihi Rafiqaini Kala Khaimati Umma Ma'badi Humana Zalaha Bilhuda Fahtadat Bihi Fakad Fazaman Amsa Rafiqa Muhammadi. Which means Jazallahu Rabbun Nasi Khaira Jazaihi, which is thanks to Allah, Rabbun Nas, Lord of the world, worlds, Khaira Jazaihi, the best of thanks. Rafiqaini, two friends. Qala, Qala is um, to sleep like the Qailula, to sleep in the middle of the day. Like they took an afternoon break, Khaymati Umma Ma'badi, in the Khayma, in the tent of Umma Ma'bad. Huma Nazalaha Bil Huda. They arrived at her tent with guidance. Fahtadat Bihi. And she was guided by that guidance. Fakad Fazaman Amsa Rafiqa Muhammadi that indeed successful is the person who finds himself at night as the companion of the Prophet the companion of Muhammad Ali radiallahu anhu in the morning, obviously, Ali radiallahu anhu is sleeping in the bed. The Prophet left behind certain people, right? The Muslims had migrated out of Medina, the Prophet and out of his courage and he didn't leave Medina till the Prophet didn't leave for Medina until Allah gave him permission. The people who were remained in Medina were those who weren't able to do hijrah, such as those who may have been slaves or their parents, you know, wouldn't allow them to do hijrah, they had them shackled and so on and so forth. Or you would have, like, either they might be a slave, they're not able to do hijrah, or they might be in a state of fitna, meaning like their parents are like torturing them and prisoning them and so on, and they're not able to do hijrah. Or someone had a job to do, and they wouldn't leave until that job is over. One of those people, Ali radiallahu anhu, he slept in the bed, but the Prophet left him in Mecca to return all the amanat to the people um, who owned it. What amanat is, is like um, if you take your money and you take it to a bank and you put it in the bank, it's like an amanat, it's a responsibility that they will take care of your money, right? So when people had money, they would give it to the Prophet to keep safe for them. These were the mushrikeen who were fighting him. They would still give their money to the Prophet because he, they knew he was the most truthful person. So now look at the contradictions. They're like, they're fighting in their hands like, hey, can you save this money for you? Keep it with you. I was like, because we trust you. <laughs> so Ali radiallahu anhu is there like after that night, 
this wealth, give it back to this person, give it back to this person. Even though they are fighting the Prophet still gave them back their money. Gave them back all the things that were due to him. And then Ali radiallahu anhu did hijrah to Medina. The Prophet in this, in this journey, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, to give you a glimpse, when they were in the cave, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, before they entered the cave, he went and you know, plugged up with you know, the, the garments that he had, any of the holes in the cave. Because there's like scorpions and there's deadly things in the caves. And the Prophet was sleeping on his, on his lap. While he was sleeping on the lap, a scorpion came and bit Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, stung him. And he didn't move. Right? So to be stung by a scorpion and he didn't move, and he was, you know, a tear fell down from his cheek and landed on the Prophet and he woke up. Because he didn't want to disturb the Prophet. You know, it's interesting, it just it reminds me, Imam Malik rahimahullah, in a hadith class. He was stung by a scorpion as well, but because he was narrating hadith, he wouldn't cut off the narration of the hadith, even though he was stung by a scorpion during the class. Right? Because of, out of the respect that the Prophet is speaking or the Prophet is resting, they wouldn't move. They wouldn't move. And obviously, the Prophet said, you know, you should have woke me up and so on and so forth. This is Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. When, he, um, when they came to the cave, there's these narrations about, you know, the... Um, the dove's nest and the, and the spiders and the spider web and so on and so forth. Allah Alam, that's not authentic, right? Normally in the Sirah narrations, we're not really adopting like, like Imam Bukhari's conditions for a hadith to be authentic. In the Sirah narrations, you don't have to adopt that unless there's like some thick relationship to it, right? So let's say in the story of Umar radiallahu anhu who's becoming Muslim, it's not necessarily narrated with an, with an authentic chain, which isn't really a big deal, right? It's just story, and if you don't accept that narration, then basically you just have gaps in the seerah. You don't know what happened. So the same strictness of narration doesn't apply in the seerah narrations unless, and this is where it would apply, unless if it's an issue of aqidah. It would be smart if you wrote that down. Unless it's an issue of aqidah, Right, so if this is like a weak narration, and in this narration, it's a, you know one companion says, "I will worship an idol," for example, then obviously you would have to apply the strictest of hadith um, techniques to find out is this authentic or not. And you probably find right away that it's not authentic, right? So if it's an issue of aqidah or if it's an issue of fiqh, an issue of fiqh, fiqh meaning like if there's some Islamic law that's going to come from this story then one would have to prove whether the story really happened or not. So an example of this, in the story of Umar radiallahu anhu converting, it said that when he asked to read the Qur'an, he wanted to read the Qur'an and his, and his sister said, no, you're najis, you need to go and take a bath, or you need to make wudu before you touch it. So now the, the people who say you need to have wudu before touching the Qur'an, they'll say, look, when Umar radiallahu anhu was you know, such and such, his sister told him to make wudu. So that's a fiqh ruling. So then when you go into the narration, you'll find that that narration of the story for, for this fiqh issue, it's not authentic. So it can't be used as proof. It can't be used as proof. We can narrate the story in a zero class, but come outside of a zero class, if there's a fiqh relationship or aqidah relationship or so on to the story, then one has to apply different hadith principles, different hadith filters to see if it's authentic or not. So. It's not really that big a deal, but just so you know, the, the story of the dove and the spider web and so on and so forth, it's not authentic. So the cave, the mouth of the cave, 
is just empty. So basically, the mushrikeen, they walk up to the cave, they climb up the mountain, they're standing at the mouth of the cave. If in order to see the Prophet and Abu Bakr, all they need to do is like go like this, and they'll see them. That's it. And they'll see there's, they're right there. Abu Bakr was extremely afraid, extremely scared. And the Prophet said to him, his statement recorded in the Quran, La tahzan in Allah ma'ana. Don't be afraid, don't be grieved, Allah is with us. Right? The verse in the Quran, Thaniya thnaini idhuma fil ghari idhi yaqulu li sahibihi la tahzan inna Allah ma'ana. When they were traveling, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, the Prophet is traveling and Abu Bakr radiallahu is circling him. Sometimes on the left, sometimes on the right, sometimes in front, sometimes in the back. The Prophet asked him why he was doing that. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, sometimes I think that they're going to come from like the left. And I'll go to your left in case out of just the darkness, out of, you know, like that, an arrow just comes, it will hit me and it won't hit you. He said, and then I'll remember maybe like they're going to come from the right. And he said, so he'll circle and go to the right of the Prophet In case if a straight arrow comes, it'll hit me and not hit you. And then I realized maybe if they come from the front, and so he'll walk in front of the Prophet and sometimes from the back. This is Abu Bakr is circling the Prophet There was someone who caught up with them. That was Suraqa ibn Malik. Suraqa ibn Malik, he had this bounty and he just wanted the bounty for himself. So that's why he didn't travel with anybody else. He didn't want to share it. He's, he's narrating that he saw the Prophet ﷺ reciting Qur'an patient and he saw Abu Bakr nervous like this and so Suraqah started chasing them. And the closer Suraqah, when he came close to the Prophet ﷺ, his horse fell into the sand. So this is like just a fluke or something like that. Suraqah pulled his horse back up, got up and started chasing them again. Got closer to the Prophet ﷺ, horse fell into the sand again. You know what I mean by falling into the sand? There's like soft sand where the horse, they're running, 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 and then they slip and they fall down, right? So they fell into the sand, the horse fell back into the sand, he pulls him up. Third time the horse falls into the sand, Suraka got the message that the Prophet was not meant to be captured. So he basically like put his hands up and he said, I mean you no harm. And he just wanted to speak to the Prophet And so when the Prophet spoke with Suraka, he gave him da'wah. And so even in this situation, the Prophet ﷺ, there's actually multiple narrations. The Prophet ﷺ is giving da'wah to like Ummah Ma'bad, giving da'wah to Suraqah. Everybody he passed in the path of Hijrah, he gave da'wah to them. And Suraqah became Muslim. Suraqah became Muslim and um, he offered like, you know, he had like some sheep and stuff like that. He offered it to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, you know, thanked him, but saying that we have no need for it. Alhamdulillah, they had their provisions. He didn't take it from Suraqah, but he said basically that if you're able to turn the direction of the people away from us, then do so. Suraqah went back, as he's traveling back to Mecca, and there's other groups chasing the Prophet and then he, he would say to them, you know, you don't need to go in that direction, I just came from there. And so the Prophet and Abu Bakr anhu, they went to Medina. And I think at that point, we'll start next week, inshallah ta'ala, with them entering Medina, inshallah ta'ala.